Good morning. God is good, amen. Um, it was such a blessing last night to hear those testimonies. Um, they were all incredibly beautiful. Um, for me, just to hear the testimonies about how people experience prayer in a special way in the prayer room, that was a blessing. Um, that prayer room, that, that was really something the Lord brought about. At the last Army Bible camp in Oregon, at Canby Grove, um, what we wanted to do was we wanted to have a prayer cover team praying in a room um, while the meetings were going on. And so we had sent emails out before the event praying that God would send us praying people, and we'd put them on a rotating schedule. The thing is, is we only ended up with a handful of people, and so we said, God, what do you want us to do? And we prayed about it, and someone mentioned, someone mentioned that um, we should have all the attendees go through at least once. And um, so that's how it began. Um, three weeks later, my wife and I and my friend Melissa um, were at another camp in Idaho, and it was after that that I started thinking, what if we did 10 days of prayer, ran a prayer room for 10 days at our Adventist universities? Now, I'm from Bering Springs, Michigan, and so we've got one big university right there. And I've been praying about that. And... Uh, I was thinking, what if, what if we encouraged all our professors and all the students in the seminary and the students in the other graduate programs and all the undergrad students and the members of the local churches to come by for just one hour during the 10 days? Imagine what God would do. So anyways, um, I continue to pray about it, and I believe it's going to happen because I believe God wants it to happen. Amen. All right, um, let's begin with the word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here together for another morning. Thank you for your sweet spirit that's in this place. Lord, please speak to us again this morning. Give us greater understanding. Help us to understand more about the science of prayer. Make your strength perfect in my weakness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before going into the message prepared for this morning, um, I just want to do a little review. Why we must pray. Um, they say that repetition deepens impression. In the Bible, quite often the important things are mentioned again and again, and so I think it might be good for us just to do a little review. Reason one why we must pray is so that we can go home soon. Amen. Elder Paul Ratsara, president of the Southern Africa Indian Ocean Division, the fastest growing division in the world, um, was invited last year in June to Andrews University for the annual Seeds Church Planning Conference. He was the evening speaker. And on the first night, um, he began his message by saying, how come we're not home yet? Is the problem with God? No. Is the problem with our message? No. What's the problem? The problem is with the messenger. And then he launched into a series of messages about the need for men and women of prayer and faith. Ian Bounds says God's cause does not suffer because of lack of divine ability, but because of lack of prayer ability in man. 
God's great plan for the redemption of mankind depends as much on prayer now as it did when the Father first decreed the plan. Prayer makes the plan of redemption prosper and succeed. Psalms 2.8. God says, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Um, after Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples spent 10 days in prayer. They prayed for 10 days, they went out and preached for 10 minutes, and thousands were converted. Um, someone has said that uh, prayer is the real work, evangelism is the mopping up. Reason number two why we must pray. In Deserve Ages, page 362, Ellen White says, Only the work accomplished with much prayer and sanctified by the merit of Christ will in the end prove to have been efficient for good. In another place, she writes, Those who are self-sufficient may be apparently active in the work of God, but if they are prayerless, their activity is of no avail. Could they look into the censure of the angel that stands at the golden altar before the rainbow-circled throne? They would see that the merit of Jesus must be mingled with our prayers and efforts, or they are as worthless as was the offering of Cain. It's a pretty strong statement. Could we see all the activity of human instrumentality as it appears before God? We would see that only the work accomplished by much prayer, which is sanctified by the merit of Christ, will stand the test of the judgment. When the grand review shall take place, then shall ye return and discern between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Once again, I want to put Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23 on the screen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. Lord, Lord, in your name, have we not started army action units? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay? Friends, um, I believe that there's going to be a lot of active, prayerless Christians that may hear these words, I never knew you. But if you're a praying Christian, if you're moving forward in your knees, and you're communing with the Father, and God hears your prayers, is he going to say, I never knew you? Okay. Um, yesterday, someone came up to me, and she handed me this little piece of paper, and she had some thoughts that she had jotted down on a paper, and I just really liked uh, one, of the, one of the quotes. It's just something the Lord gave to her. It's nice to see people doing their work for the Lord. It's nicer to see people doing the Lord's work. Amen? We need to get our work from the Lord. Ellen White says the value of our work is in proportion to the impartation of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a lot of work that's being done in the flesh. And even when it comes to praying, there's a lot of praying that's done in the flesh too. And we need to ask our Lord, fill us with your spirit. Teach us how to pray in the spirit. So that then we can go moving forward, walking in the spirit. Um, there's a lot of work that um, counts for nothing in God's eyes. The value of our work is in proportion to the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And reason number three why we must pray is so that we can be spiritually healthy. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. Prayer has often been compared 
to breathing. Hope you guys have been enjoying the good air up here at Leone Meadows, nice and fresh. I know some of you have to go back down to Loma Linda or Southern California. I hope this air has been good for you up here. Ellen White says in Gospel Workers, prayer is the breath of the soul. It is the secret of spiritual power. No other means of grace can be substituted and the health of the soul be preserved. I love this quote that I found. Prayer should be the breath of our breathing, the thought of our thinking, the soul of our feeling, and the life of our living, the sound of our hearing, the growth of our growing. We need to pray without ceasing. And friends, um, I believe that we need to bring more prayer into our Bible study, our Bible reading experience too. Psalms 119 verse 18, it says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Ellen White says, Take the Bible and on your knees plead with God to enlighten your mind. She doesn't say, Ask, ask that God would enlighten your mind, but plead with God to enlighten your mind. If we would study the Bible diligently and prayerfully every day, we should every day see some beautiful truth in a new, clear, and forcible light. In Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 415, we're told that God can teach you more in one moment by His Holy Spirit than you could learn from the great men of the earth, which is really amazing. And the Holy Spirit is never given to a prayerless person. We need to ask that God would pour out His Spirit on us. Um, I want to give you an acronym, ESCAPE. Um, and, and the word ESCAPE, for this acronym, I believe, came from this text, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Um, as you read and study and meditate on the Word of God, um, ask questions, because when you ask, God will answer, and I believe you'll have a richer experience. E stands for example. Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a sin for me to avoid? Is there a command for me to obey? Is there an action for me to take? Is there a promise for me to claim? Is there an expression, something I should tell the Lord or, some, or someone else? Okay. So you can, as you're studying the Bible, you're praying without ceasing. And the more you ask, um, the more blessings you'll receive. Um, I believe that God wants us to pray without ceasing because he wants to answer without ceasing. Amen? Um, George Mueller talks um, about the importance of, of um, consecutive reading throughout the whole word. Um, I know there's a lot of emphasis here on deep Bible study, and I really believe with all my heart that that we need that as Adventists. But I also want to share with you that I believe it's important that, that we're on a Bible reading plan that allows us to read through the entire Bible. Okay? Um, so we see how everything comes together in relation to each other, and we understand the whole of God's revealed will. This is what George Mueller says. He says, if we are children of God, 
we should be well acquainted with the whole revealed will of God, the whole of the word. All scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable. Because the tendency can be that we sometimes just go to the books or the passages that we want to study, and we go very deep in those, but it's important that we understand the whole of God's will. Uh, there's a lot of Bible reading plans out there. The one I really enjoy and appreciate is the one put out by Amazing Facts. And what I like about it is, is that for each day, you're, allowed, you're able to spend some time reading a portion from the Old Testament, a portion from the Gospels, and then a little bit from the wisdom literature, which includes Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, and then a portion from the rest of the New Testament, apart from the Gospels. So you're reading a bit from various parts of the Bible, and you're able to go through the whole Bible. What I like about doing that, um, I'm not saying we should only do that. We need to get into deep Bible study, but what I like about reading through the Bible regularly is that there are times where I'm praying about something, and God just is able to work it out. We're on a certain morning where I need an answer. God is able to speak to me through a passage and give me the answer that I need. And I don't know how he's able to do that, but he's able to do that. Ian Bowne says, No insistence in the scriptures is more pressing than that we must pray. No exhortation is more often reiterated, none is more hearty, none is more solemn and stirring than to pray. There is no command more imperative and insistent than that of praying. Are you praying in everything without ceasing? George Miller was asked, how much, time, how much time do you spend in prayer? And this was his answer. Hours every day. But I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk. And when I lie down and when I arise. And the answers are always coming. Now the reason I share this with you is because some people say, well, I really don't need to spend that time in the prayer closet because you know what? I just pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. But you know what? I know from my own personal experience and from what many other authors have written that if you don't spend that quiet time in the prayer closet alone with God, securing His presence in the morning, guess what? You're not going to be able to go through the day walking with Christ and having that pray without ceasing experience. Okay? We need that time with God and prayer becomes sweeter and sweeter as you have experienced here at Army Bible Camp. All right, you know, a lot of people say, well, too busy to pray. Ari Torrey, um, a good friend and associate of Dio Moody, the great evangelist, said, we are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. As I mentioned earlier, the disciples prayed for 10 days, and went out preached for 10 minutes and got thousands of conversions. And we have it the other way around. We pray for 10 minutes and then preach for 10 days, 20 days, 30 days. And end up, and we're content if we have a handful of baptisms. We need to pray more. So are you too busy to pray or too busy not to pray? Charles Spurgeon says, sometimes we think we are too busy to pray. That is a great mistake, for praying is a saving of time. Sometimes I am tempted to, um, you know, move forward without spending quiet time with God. 
cheating myself in the morning. But on those days, I am not as productive. I have experienced that over and over again. If I'm able to put in good time in the morning, my day goes much, much better. Martin Luther says, tomorrow I plan to work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Okay? Friends, prayer is not a wasting of time. Prayer is a saving of time. It is not lost time to pray. Martin Luther says, the less I pray, the harder it gets. The more I pray, the better it goes. So anyways, at ASAP, our ministry, over a year ago, end of March, we began setting aside an hour from 1 to 2, Monday through Thursday, and then on Friday from 12 to 1 to pray. And now um, people in our office are saying, you know, how did we ever get along without this extra hour of prayer? Because it renews us. And um, it just does something for our team. You know, we have a very close-knit team. And I believe it's because the Spirit is working in our hearts and in our midst. William Temple, I love this quote. When I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't. God just has a way of just um, pulling things together, blessing you in your work, blessing you with efficiency, and making things just go really nice and smooth. And... um, there have been so many times where I just have a long to-do list and I'm going through the day and God just puts in my path the people that I need to meet and helps me to recall where the various illustrations are on my computer that I need to find and helps me to turn to the pages in the books for the passages that I need. I mean, the Lord does that. And Martin Luther says, the, to pray well is the better half of study. And I believe that... Um, that we really need to spend more time in prayer as we get into God's Word. I love um, this uh, from the kneeling Christian. Do we realize that there is nothing the devil dreads so much as prayer? His great concern is to keep us from praying. He loves to see us up to our eyes in work, provided we do not pray. He does not fear because we are eager and earnest Bible students, provided we are little in prayer. C.T. Studd was a great missionary. Um, he, gave it, he gave his life for the Lord, serving in China, India, Africa. He's, he's known for that quote, um, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That's the spirit of army, amen? amen? I love this quote. He says, let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. We don't know what's going to happen in the next hour or this afternoon. On your way home, accident, life over, we never know, right? But if you were to lose your life today or tomorrow, would would, would Satan notice? Would he be like, no big deal. That person was never a threat to my kingdom. Or would Satan rejoice, saying, I'm so glad he's out because he was a threat to my kingdom. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. And if you're going to battle forward on your knees, believe me, I believe the devil is going to rejoice the day you leave the field of battle. 
Okay, thank you for being so patient. We're gonna get into the message now. <laughs> I'm gonna, we're gonna look at a text in the Bible, which I do believe contains the whole secret of prayer, which means that if you were not here yesterday or the day before, and are not familiar with all the conditions and hindering factors that we talked about in the Word of God, if you can comply with the two conditions mentioned in the verse that we're going to look at this morning, I believe you're going to see amazing answers to prayers. Okay? John 15, verse 7. Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. This is an amazing promise. I believe that when we start seeing Christ fulfill this promise to us, because we fulfill the two conditions, that heaven begins here on earth for us. One reason, one reason I believe that heaven is going to be so special is because we're not going to have any unfulfilled desires. Amen? Everything we desire, everything we see in heaven, God's going to give it to us. Amen? We see something, and we say, Lord, can I have that? What is Jesus going to say? It's yours. You can have it. Amen? And here Jesus is saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Very amazing promise. All right, the first condition is this. If you abide in me. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, to help us understand, Jesus, in the previous verses, talks about the vine and the branches. In verse 4 of John chapter 15, Christ says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears fruit, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Um, I love this imagery of the vine and the branch. It's so beautiful. To help us understand um, our relationship to Christ. And I'm, I'm glad Christ has made it very simple. You don't have to be a theologian or a botanist to understand what it means to abide in him. Amen? To abide in Jesus uh, means having a life that is fully surrendered. Okay. Um, does the branch have a life of its own? It has no life of its own. It's simply the life that is in the vine that flows into the branch. Amen? Okay. Is Christ your life? Amen? We have to be fully surrendered. Okay? There, can no be, there cannot be self and Christ. Okay? If we are to abide. Okay? What was Christ's requir requirement when he was on this earth? Leave all, sell all, and forsake all. Secondly, abiding in Jesus means living a life of complete dependence on Christ. What can the branch do apart from the vine? If it's severed, if it's severed, say this is the branch, what can the branch do? Can it bear fruit? 
any leaves, buds, it can do absolutely nothing. It withers and dies if it is severed from the branch. The branch is completely dependent on the vine. I love that hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. Um, You know, I have a great appreciation for for our hymns. Um, You read them, and you can tell that these individuals that wrote the hymns had a connection with God. They had a very close walk with God. And a good number of hymns are prayers, um, such as, I need thee every hour. Um, The fourth stanza goes, I need thee every hour. Teach me thy will, and thy rich promises in me fulfill. I need thee, oh, I need thee, I need thee every hour. And I can't remember the last line right now, but it's, it's very beautiful. <laughs> oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Thank you. Uh, it is the prayer of someone that recognizes that, uh, that that person cannot do anything apart from Christ. Okay? And that's what Jesus said, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And lastly... It is a life of great faith. Because where is the vine now? The vine is in heaven. Jesus is the vine. And we can't see the vine. But in order to maintain this union with the vine, it requires faith. It is through faith and continual communion with God that we maintain this this union. John 15, verse 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Um, The experience we are to have in Jesus is the experience that Jesus had in His Father. And in the book of John, we're given a glimpse into the inner life of Christ. When Jesus, in talking about His relationship to the Father, He unceasingly used the words, not and nothing of Himself, again and again. John 5, 19. The Son can do nothing of Himself. In John 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will. In John 5, 41, I do not receive honor from men. John chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. John 7, 16, my doctrine is not mine. John 7, 28, I have not come of myself. John 8, 28, I do nothing of myself. John 8, 42, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. John 8, verse 50, I do not seek my own glory. John 14, 10, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. John 14, 24, The word which you hear is not mine. Friends, Jesus was nothing. Jesus was nothing. And the Father was everything. We see here a life of um, utter dependence on the Father and a life of complete submission to the Father's will. You know, as we go through life, how often are we thinking, me, myself, and I? My way or the highway? Friends, We need to yield the right to be right. What an example we have. 
And as Christ was absolutely nothing so that he could have, be in that abiding relationship to the Father, we need to come to the place where we are nothing so that we can be in that abiding relationship with Christ. John 14, verse 12. Amazing promise. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Is that an amazing promise? Has this promise already been fulfilled? We read the book of Acts. Okay? And um, we see how God used these disciples. Um, their work, it was of a greater extent. It was not of a more exalted character, but it was of a greater extent. Speaking of that verse we just read, Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, God was manifested in him that he might be manifested in them, meaning the disciples. Jesus revealed no qualities and exercised no powers that men may not have through faith in him. Isn't that amazing? His perfect humanity is that which all his followers may possess if they will be in subjection to God as he was. All right, Tori. This is the way he describes uh, this abiding relationship. To abide in Christ is to renounce any independent lives of our own. We must give up trying to think our own thoughts, form our own resolutions, or cultivate our own feelings. How often do we get hung up on feelings? We must simply and constantly look to Christ to think His thoughts in us, to form His purposes in us, to feel His emotions and affections in us. It is to renounce all life independent of Christ and constantly look to Him for the inflow of His life into us and the outworking of His life through us. When we do this, our prayer will obtain what we seek from God. Here's a picture of what that abiding experience looks like. When we abide in Christ, we will begin to see answers to prayers. Because friends, when Christ is our life, his desires become our desires. And it will no longer be our prayers, but it will be Christ praying through us. And his prayers will always be in harmony with God's will, and God delights to answer such prayers. Friends, if our prayers fail, it is simply because they are our prayers. But the difficulties in prayer disappear when we begin to abide in Christ. John 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. We want to look at the second condition, and my words abide in you. Um, in John chapter 6, verse 63, it's, Jesus said, The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And so it is by spending much time in the Word of God that, um, that we receive the life of Christ. It is through His Word. And that's how He abides in us. George Mueller, um, you're going to know a lot about him by the time you leave. Amen? Um, George Mueller would begin praying by spending time meditating in the Word of God. 
And as he would read and meditate on the Word of God, a prayer would form in its heart. In his heart. Okay. Um, so who was the author of that prayer? It was God. It was God that would form the prayers in his heart, and, and God would, of course, answer that prayer which he himself had inspired. This is an amazing statement Ellen White makes. She says, For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? If we will draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us, and his glory will go before us. He will indict our petitions, teaching us to ask for the very things that he has pledged himself to bestow on us. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever had an experience where you just felt impressed to pray for something and the next, next day or soon after you saw it answered? I've had, that, I've had that happen on occasion and I'm thinking, you know what? God must have given me that prayer because he was going to answer it. Yeah. How awesome that we can come to God that he is willing to teach us what he's going to do so that we can pray for it. John 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. In Psalms 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourselves also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's just a different way of saying it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Charles Spurgeon has said, if you want that splendid power in prayer, you must remain in loving, living, lasting, conscious, practical, abiding union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what you want? That splendid power in prayer comes through that abiding union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Andrew Murray has said, if the spiritual life be healthy under the full power of the Holy Spirit, praying without ceasing will be natural. If we are connected, if we are connected to the vine and the heavenly sap from the vine flows into our branches, praying is just going to be natural. It's going to be automatic. And we're going to know what to pray for. If praying is a struggle, it's because we're not in that abiding relationship with Christ. Okay? It's because we're not surrendered. It's because we're so self-sufficient and self-reliant. It may be because there's just so much self-love and because we are lacking that faith experience. Um, in the book, Kneeling Christian, it says, No one can have very real and deep communion with God who does not know how to pray so as to get answers to prayer. Once again, I want to remind you that praying well is not an option if you want to have a strong relationship with Christ. Um, in light of what I've shared, does it make sense that it is not possible to have very real and deep communion with God who does not know how to pray so as to get answers to prayer? Okay. There is a way to study the Bible that can actually do you harm, I've heard. Um, knowing a lot of theology without having a relationship with Christ can actually be a very dangerous thing. Okay. Um, there are individuals, bright-minded individuals who have left the church. Uh, 
We need to study the Bible deeply, and we want to be scholars of God's Word. But if we miss out on that relationship with Christ, it means nothing. Which is why prayer is so important. Amen? Ian Bounds says, If we are abiding in Christ, and if we abide in Him, we are living in obedience to His holy will, and approach God in His name. Then there will lie, then there lie open before us the infinite resources of the divine treasure house. The man who truly prays gets from God many things denied to the prayerless man. If you want to be a prayerless, if you want to be a praying Christian, can you raise your hand? Amen. Imagine what God will do for army. By the way, uh, every Sunday, we have people uh, on the army team and our volunteers that come together for a teleconference prayer meeting every Sunday morning. Um, it's West Coast, uh, 9 a.m., um, we get together and we spend time doing what we do here, uh, conversational prayer. And it's a blessing. So um, if you'd like to join us on Sunday mornings, um, we can make the conference call number available to you so you can unite with us in prayer. And even those prayer meetings on Sunday mornings via the telephone, they're powerful. They're a blessing. George Mueller was asked, what is the secret of your success? And he said, there was a day when I died, utterly died. And as he spoke, he bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. He was completely dead. He could say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I want this kind of an experience where I no longer care about what people think, where I am serving an audience of one. John Hyde was a great man of prayer. I mentioned a little bit about him yesterday. Uh, John Hyde, in his youth, he wanted to be a missionary when he grew up. He went off to Bible college. He graduated. And in 1892, he got on board a steamer from New York, and he was headed for India. And he wanted to be a missionary, a great missionary that would shine. Well, on board that steamer, he was in his cabin, and he opened up this letter that his father's friend had sent. His father was a Presbyterian minister, and the friend was also a minister. And this minister had this dream of being a missionary one day, but that dream was never fulfilled, and, and he was so glad that the son of his good friend was going off as a, as a, as a missionary. In this letter, the, the message was simple. The message was, I will not cease praying for you until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you love to have someone praying that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, John Hyde got very upset. His pride was touched. And he's saying, why is this man implying 
that I don't have the Holy Spirit when I'm on my way to go be a missionary. And he crumpled up that letter, tossed it into the corner of his cabin, and he went up on deck, and he started pacing back and forth. He loved this man, and he had respect for this man. But how could this man say that um, he didn't have the Holy Spirit? But as he kept pacing back and forth on the deck, the conviction kept growing stronger that perhaps this man was right and that he was not equipped to be a missionary. He went back into his cabin and he opened up that crumpled letter and he read through it. I'm going to read to you um, his words. He says, This went on for two or three days until I felt perfectly miserable because he had this conviction growing. This was the goodness of the Lord answering the prayers of my father's friend who must have claimed a victory for me. At last, in a kind of despair, I asked the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit and the moment I did this, the whole atmosphere cleared up. I began to see myself and what a selfish ambition I had. And then he says, It was a struggle almost to the end of the voyage, but I was determined long before the port was reached that whatever would be the cost, I would be really filled with the Spirit. What price are you willing to pay to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He goes on to say, The second climax came when I was led to tell the Lord that I was willing even to fail in my language examinations in India and be a missionary working quietly out of sight that I would do anything and be anything with the Holy Spirit I would have at any cost. You know, I long to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And for the past few years, I have been praying much. The reason, the reason I am big into United Prayer is because I know that there's more power and I'm wanting God to just pour out His Spirit. But what I realize is that there's a work that God has to continue to do in my life. There is a work of emptying before God can just outpour His Spirit on me without measure. Um, I realized that a few years ago, when I started praying for the Holy Spirit, I realized that my motives were wrong. The reason I wanted the Holy Spirit is because I wanted to be successful in ministry. And God has been showing me these things. Here, He's come to the place where he's saying, God, I will be anything. I will do anything. But your Holy Spirit, I must have at any cost. I'm willing to work quietly out of sight. Anyways, this man's ministry was such that the natives in India referred to him as the man who never sleeps because he would spend days and nights in prayer, sometimes for 30 days. And there were times of deep intercession where he's praying for 36 hours at a time. Do you know what his prayer was? Oh God, give me souls or I die. Now, I can't pray that prayer with all sincerity. Okay? Because you know what? I can sleep well at night, even if there are souls perishing in the community where I live. How do you get to the place where you can pray such prayers? It is as you pray, God fills you with His Spirit, and when God takes possession of you, and He's able to live out His life through you, 
It is then that God places His burdens upon your heart. Does that make sense? I pray that one day, before the Lord comes, that I would have that experience where, where I can truly pray as John Hyde did, Oh God, give me souls or I die. Or as John Knox did, Oh God, give me Scotland or I die. Imagine, what if God placed it upon your heart? God, God, give me SF or I die. Imagine pr pr praying for the many perishing in our cities, in our secular cities here in America. Um, in the book, Pray and Hide, um, the author writes, I remember John telling me that in those days, if on any day four souls were not brought into the fold at night, there would be such a weight on his heart that it was positively painful and he could not eat nor sleep, then in prayer he would ask his Lord to show him what was the obstacle in him to this blessing. He invariably found that it was the want of praise in his life. just want to remind you again about the importance of praise. It was in 1908 that John Hyde laid hold of God in a very definite covenant, covenant, a covenant saying, God, give me one soul a day. Not, not an inquirer, but a person um, who has accepted you, ready to publicly confess Christ and be baptized. And God uh, granted that request to him. The next year, in 1909, he, be he began to lay hold of God again, asking for two souls a day. And, and once again, God granted him that request. And at the end of that year, he brought 800 souls to Christ. But he was not satisfied. He wanted more souls. And once again, he began praying, praying for four, four souls a day. And he agonized in prayer for several weeks until God gave him the assurance that his prayer had been heard. Amazing, huh? And so there, later on, every day he's bringing four souls into Christ. <coughs> Whoops. John Hyde says, when we keep near to Jesus, it is he who draws souls to himself through us. But he must be lifted up in our lives. That is, we must be crucified with him. It is self in some shape that comes between us and him. So self must be dealt with as he was dealt with. Self must be crucified, dead, and buried with Christ. If not buried, the stench of the old man will frighten souls away. And, and I really think that that is a reason why I may not be so effective. It's the reason why a lot of us may not be effective in winning souls to Christ because there's so much of self. So how do we empty ourselves of self? Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lessons, no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Okay. Um, I've heard a pastor say that crucifixion is a death, is a form of death um, where you can't do it yourself. Okay. You can't put yourself up on the cross. Okay. And when it comes to us um, being crucified to self, we need Christ to do it for us. 
Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. This is amazing, what Ellen White says in Desire of Ages. She says, There is no limit to the usefulness of one who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his life and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. Truly amazing. Uh, my friend Dan Augsburger in Bering Springs, he says, you're either a limit God Christian or you're a no limit Christian. I mean, you look at people like George Mueller, what God was able to accomplish through him because he made room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart. He put self aside and lived a life wholly consecrated to God. Is that what you want in your experience? To be wholly consecrated to God? Hannah Whittle Smith, um, I love her book, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Um, it talks much about what that life of faith is all about. Um, it's, it's one of the many books that has just really blessed, tremendously blessed my Christian experience. Um, sometimes uh, we have all this head knowledge, but we don't have this heart experience. And, and she writes a lot about how to go from that having that head knowledge and by faith entering into that heart experience. She says, You may have left much to follow Christ. You may have believed on Him and worked for Him and loved Him, and yet may not be like Him. Allegiance you know and confidence you know, but not yet union. There are two wills, two interests, two lives. You have not yet lost your own life that you may live only in his. Once it was I and not Christ. Then it was I and Christ. Perhaps now it is even Christ and I. But has it come yet to be Christ only and not I at all? Frances Ridley Havergal was a hymn writer. She was a poetess. And at a young age, she read this book called All for Jesus, and she just surrendered her life to God. And God filled her with his spirit and um, just used her in amazing ways. And in our Adventist hymnal, you'll find a number of different hymns by Frances Ridley Havergal. One of my favorite hymns is Live Out Thy Life Within Me, which she has written. And at this time, um, Brother Taylor is going to come up, and I'm going to have him sing this first verse. And then I would like to invite you to join us in singing through the rest of the verses. It's a beautiful prayer. It's all about that life that is abiding in Christ. Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of kings. Be thou thyself the answer. 
Dear Lord, this is our prayer, O oh God, that you would live out your life within us, that we would be the transparent medium thy glory to display. Lord, help us to sink lower and lower and lower into nothingness, that you may be all and in all. Lord, through our lives, be seen, be heard, be known. Be glorified, O oh God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Are you blessed? Do you want to go lower?